What does it feel like to stand in someone else's shoes? To see the world truly from their perspective and to understand their point of view more deeply and fully? This is the question we asked ourselves that led to the creation of Applied Empathy. I'm Michael Ventura, the founder of Subrosa, a strategy and design practice that uses empathy as a tool to solve complex problems for leaders and the organizations they serve. This podcast is an ongoing project that explores questions of identity, perspective, self-awareness, and growth. It's intentionally unfussy about being pristine or perfect. You might hear a ringer go off in the background or a stutter step in a response, because that's what life is really like. It's imperfect. And if we take the time to see it and to understand it as such, we learn that the imperfections are actually quite perfect. This 10-part season was recorded to correspond to the reissue of my first book, Applied Empathy. In it, we will chat with leaders from all walks of life and learn how empathy plays a role in the work they do for their teams and for themselves. I hope it helps open your perspective and illuminates new ways of seeing the world. Aaron Rose is a speaker, writer, diversity and inclusion educator, and transformational coach for public figures. He's devoted to healing our crisis of separation and political polarization by designing radically inclusive community cultures, facilitating individual recovery from trauma and isolation, and empowering the next generation of social change makers to lead the way. Aaron, welcome to Applied Empathy. I'm really excited to have this conversation, you know, and doing some of the the research for this, there was just so many different roads we could take. But one of the first ones I wanted to start on is sort of the origin story in some ways for you. You seem to have always had a proclivity for activism and promoting peace. You, you talk about motivating your friends at school. And as young of an age as 14, you were talking about the importance of things like thinking globally and acting locally. And I'm curious because everyone has different ways into this. Some people feel like they were born to do this kind of work and others feel like it evolves out of a specific moment in time that was a bit of a catalyst. And for you, if you look at where you are today, do you have a sense of if this was just sort of predestined or if there was something that gave you a couple nudges or one good nudge at some point in your life to take you on this path? Definitely. It's a beautiful question. I think the the initial response I have is that there is just this innate sense in me. And I think all of us can identify with something that's always just felt like a burning fire in the pit of our stomach or, or just something that's always excited us. Even if it's not, doesn't translate into work. It's like always being obsessed with the ocean or always being obsessed with a certain kind of movie. For me, this question of why can't we get along or why do humans struggle so much to see each other or why is there so much not love in the world is a question that I was obsessed with um, from a very early age. And it was that deep sense of it's like when you walk into a room and you sense that there was a fight there or there's just sort of a weird smell in the air. It's almost like, mm, you know, something isn't quite right here. Um, even though I'm only seeing a negative stimuli, I have this sense that it should be another way. And so I remember having that instinct from a very early age, growing up in a very conservative Catholic environment and hearing a lot about love and about certain Christian teachings, but intuitively knowing that I wasn't really experiencing what love really felt like, feeling this, this deep disconnect. And so that has, has really driven me 
um, both through, I'd say that there's the levers of both love and fear in that, that fear of being a young activist and realizing, oh my God, like there's all this stuff we have to change about the world and there are lives that are on the line every single second and how do I jump in and make a difference? Um, and then also being driven by a, a beautiful vision of it's, there's got to be another way and we all deserve to live peacefully. And, and when I speak about the world, it's, it's really, you know, it's not just um, war and conflict or abuse and individual connections. It's the environment. It's, it's, it's all, it's food. It's all these different layers. And I'd say that those sort of, you spoke about those aha moments or those big forks in the road. For me, those are less around seeing myself as a person who's here to radically transform the world through love and more about these these ongoing series of surrenders I've had around how I was doing my work. Because I started as a little bit more, the tools that were handed to me were sort of rah-rah activism, yell in people's faces, convince them to do something different. Um, and over the years, I've had several different kind of humbling experiences, all driven by my desire to see the change I truly desired, where I had to admit that the way I was doing things wasn't quite getting me there. And so it was surrendering and allowing in new ways of, of approaching the work has really, those have been the more of the dark night of the soul moments. Hmm. Beautiful. One of the, one of the uh, surrenderings that you've had to go through, I would imagine is getting to a place where you realize, and I think a lot of people who do activism realize this uh, at some point on their journey is that you, you can't solve every problem. So you kind of have to pick a big one and go after it because, because uh, there are so many in the world. Is that true for you too? Did you have to kind of like go from a more generalized to a more focused mission at some point? Mm, that's, that's a great question because in some ways it's been a little bit the opposite. It's been moving from, I always talk about, you know, how our means reflect the ends that we're seeking to create. And so I'm always tapping into the frequency of like, what is the world I'm really trying to build? What are, what are its conditions? How does it feel? How does it look? And one of those things is a sense of both abundance and uniqueness. And so I used to be in this place of there's never enough time to do everything, you know, these kids are dying of starvation and this water, this water source is polluted and this war is happening. And this overwhelm was almost a form of self of, of self-sabotage. And the way that I have, have approached it is yes, getting clearer about what my zone of genius is that, that um, uniqueness and understanding that um, it is as a public speaker, as a coach, um, but also really surrendering the false idea that we can't do it all, that, that, or, or surrendering the idea that by me being in my zone of genius, I'm somehow not impacting every single issue on the planet. Because from my perspective, the frequency of love, it restores peace to all things. And so if I'm fully in that, that love frequency, that abundant frequency, I have a I have a sense of even if I'm not specifically raising money to save the ocean, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. what I'm doing within my zone of genius, the love I'm bringing out into the world is impacting that is is actually having um, it, it's it, it's not furthering that problem if that makes sense and also yeah. being a transformational coach who works with lots of different people it's um, I do have the <laughs> I do have the 
the the benefit of feeling like I'm specifically impacting lots of different issues because I have clients who are working on a lot of different um, a lot of different issues, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, it makes perfect sense. I think it's good for people to hear that too, because sometimes we get that overwhelm and it is hard for people to feel like any action will make a difference. And it's a nice reminder for people that even if you don't know the knock-on effects of this particular minute action with an individual, it might have that sort of butterfly effect that goes on to change something significant down the line. So it's a, it's a really good reminder. Um, one, one, one thing that I've encountered a lot in the past year as I've gone on more of a, a speaker circuit than I had been in, in years prior as a result of the book is I go into organizations and talk about the word empathy. And there's something that happens uh, that I refer to sometimes as the the quote unquote tooth sucker in the room. This is the person who like one eyebrow goes up and they're like, that sounds like bullshit. You know, like they're they're like the the word empathy triggers this like soft science reflex in them that says like, I am not sold on this being valuable to me and you're going to have to convince me of it. I would imagine love brings a similar sort of eyebrow raising moment sometimes in organizations where people are like, what is this really for? How is this going to affect my life? How is this going to change our bottom line? Whatever it might be, whatever excuse or or container they're creating to resist. How do you how do you butt up against that? And what, what are some of the things you've been you've encountered and overcome through what is probably a, you know, a not uncommon reaction to some of the work you're doing? I'm definitely familiar with that reaction. I actually <laughs> had an Uber driver yesterday who asked me what I do. And I have a policy of just, of really just speaking my truth to whoever asked and not censoring. And so I was explaining a little bit about what I did. And he sort of burst in, into some uncomfortable laughter. And he said, oh, you know, these days it's all about feeling. It's not about the truth anymore. Um, and we had this very interesting conversation where he was he was expressing that resistance that I see sometimes where he was like, there's almost this sort of, overwhelmed with the unpredictability of other people's emotions that people are being asked to take into consideration. It's like all of a sudden, if you're accountable to treating every person um, in, in a very specifically empathetic and kind and loving way, and the other person, at least within a certain framework in our culture today, the other person has the ultimate deciding power about whether or not you're doing a good job, aka whether or not you're a good person, aka whether or not you can stay in meaningful connection with each other, it gets very overwhelming for people. I think particularly people who um, are who who have a pretty sturdy internal sense of being a good person and just wanting to be able to go with the flow in their interactions and not and and are really resisting this sense of now there's this whole new criteria for being a good person, whether that's like being a more open listener or specifically knowing, you know, how to be very respectful to LGBTQ people, LGBTQ people or people of color, whatever it might be. For me, the way I shift things when I'm going into a group environment is that we always start with vision. I always start and I say, this is an invitation, not an indoctrination. You are all leaders. I'm here in service of your leadership. I'm here in service of you having the best possible experience. And what I ask for you is the willingness to acknowledge where things are not working 
in the way that you wish they were. And even if they're not working in the sense that you feel like everybody's just talking about empathy too much or talking about identity too much, that's the problem that you have the opportunity to get curious about in this session. And so then we talk about vision. How do you truly want to feel when you show up at work? How do you truly want to be greeted? What's the emotion that you want to have? What's the sense you want to have in your relationships, whether they be personal or professional and getting people really rooted in that positive vision, because otherwise the implicit intention that a lot of people feel and sort of expect is I'm here to tell you all the ways that you're wrong and give you more criteria for being right that are really hard for you to achieve. And there's sort of some people who are doing it right and some people who are doing it wrong. And that's sort of a very, it's a very negative intention, like not, not messing up <laughs> is a pretty limiting intention. Um, being in a workplace that feels abundant and curious and connected where people smile when they see you and where you feel at ease. Now that's an intention we can really work with. And so then when we have sticky moments of friction where people are start, start to raise their eyebrows at certain techniques, it's like, remember, we're here in service of this intention. Um, and that is what is guiding every potentially weird thing I might be asking you to do in this space. Well said. And, you know, I think it's funny that, uh, the, these organizations in particular, the teams, you know, these teams, these teams spend a lot of time together, right? Most people spend more time at work on a weekly basis with their colleagues than they do at home with their families, right? And yet there is such a discomfort at going to certain depths of the pool together with those folks because people just are used to showing up as a a version of themselves, but not their whole self. And one of the things we've spent a lot of time doing inside organizations is an, is an approach we call whole self development, which is really about making sure that we're not just focusing in on an aspect, but really giving people permission and the safety to feel like they can be wholly them at work, just the same as they are when they're at home with their families or out with their friends or whatever it might be. And in the wake of all of this DNI work, diversity and inclusion work that's been um, emerging in the past, particularly 18 months on the heels of things like Black Lives Matter and the Me Too movement um, and and the women's rights issues that are now happening and the LGBTQ uh, rights issues that are emerging, you know, organizations are starting to wake up and they're starting to say, this is something that we have to have a proactive hand in trying to solve. And yet, often the the old playbook of some uh, HR uh, uh, program or training that they bring into an organization isn't really as modern and, and ready for that. And so that's when they call folks like you, perhaps. And so I know you've done a lot of DNI work inside organizations. I'm curious, what are some of the approaches to the trainings or what are some of the ways you think about going into an organization that helps bring fresh eyes and a fresh approach to this sort of training work? So I'd say that it really does start with a very metaphysical understanding of how the world works, right? Not going in saying, I'm seeking to just change certain behaviors, but going in and saying, what we're experiencing externally is a reflection of what is going on internally and giving people the permission to go internal. And I think that the way that you you spoke about whole self is really powerful and beautiful. That's a version of what I do, which is that we start with the self. We start by acknowledging that 
any negative stimuli that's coming at you from the world is in some way a reflection of what's going on within yourself. And so really inviting people to look at um, the, you know, to, to look at the actions that they're taking and we have this concept of microaggressions and bystander intervention and different behavioral and relational and communication tools that we can use to shift things. But starting by saying, where are you still running a story that it's not safe to be with people who are different than you? Where are you still running a story that you don't deserve to be fully seen? Where are you still running a story that, you know, let's get explicit, that women are less competent leaders or that, LGBTQ people um, are, are 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 less than or weird or whatever the word might be, and so give, giving people the permission to go into the subconscious and um, and to get really honest about what's going on in there, and giving them tools for reprogramming those stories. Because you know, no matter how many communication tools I give you, no matter how many best practices you learn about. Um, how to be a good person to X, Y, and Z different kinds of people, if you're still, if your subconscious, which took in all of the information about um, how to stay safe in the world between the ages of about zero and seven, if you still have some programming in there that says that you are not safe unless you assert your dominance over other people, or you are not going to get what you need if people who look like X, Y, and Z also get what they need, then you're going to be self-sabotaging. You're going to be recreating the same cycles of conflict. And so for everybody, there's, there's a different perspective, a different or a different approach, you know, for someone who, at least within their identities like me, who's part of the LGBTQ community, some of that might be looking at the story that says it's inherently unsafe for me to be around a straight person, which is keeping them in deep resistance and blockage from um, actually having an authentic connection with the straight people that they work with who might actually be totally excited to be connected to them. Um, on the other side, you know, as a white person looking at where am I still carrying the legacy of, of racism, of white supremacy within me? Where are those thoughts still occurring within my subconscious? Where is that program that still says that I'm better or that I'm more trustworthy? Um, same goes for being a man. And so part of it is about shifting the beliefs. And then also, you know, this concept of, of atonement or amends or reparations, um, where folks are really given the opportunity to say, what does it look like to actually go and clean up your past? Um, I have people all the time in trainings who will say, who will realize that their next right action is not immediately going and, and saying that they want to be best friends with you know, if they're straight, maybe with all of the LGBTQ people in their workplace, their next right action is going back to the kid that they called the homophobic slur 15 years ago, finding him on Facebook and saying, sorry, right? So clearing away this detritus of all these moments where we've acted in unloving ways. Um, and obviously different workplaces have different levels of comfort of going this deep. But for me, that, that understanding the mechanics, the metaphysical mechanics of why we're still playing out these cycles, whether it's about the programming we got in this lifetime or also the intergenerational trauma that we all carry up to 14 generations back within our DNA, understanding that that's why we're on these loops. Um, and then as we begin to do that, the things like this is how to best you know, let someone know that you have feedback for them, those, those sort of more material best practices start to come a lot more organically because we're actually not resisting them on a really deep, deep level, if that makes sense. Yeah. And one of the things that I think that 
you've just shined a, a big light on for for people is when you do that sort of work individually and in sometimes isolation, right? You may not be doing it, as you said, with your colleagues. You may not be walking down the hall to that person that you never made time for and now you're making time for them, but you are going to sometimes um, be forgiving yourself. You're going to sometimes be forgiving uh, or asking forgiveness from uh, uh, a thing that has nothing to do with the workplace, but yet, much like how we said earlier, there are these butterfly effects, these knock-on effects Um doing those things do start to change the the way someone shows up in the world. They they There is a palpable shift, and I've seen it so many times in the work we've done too, where someone inside an organization who might not have been like the 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 worst actor in the in the company but has probably made a couple missteps and has probably done some things that they regret make a couple considered choices on to a new path it is astounding how quickly not only they, they are often sometimes the, the last people to notice it. It's their colleagues that bring it up. I don't know what you've done with Jim, but he's a different person, you know? And it's like, well, because it, it, is, it isn't always those seismic shifts. Sometimes it's baby steps in another direction, but people pick up on that stuff really easy. I imagine you see that too, right? That the, 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 the knock-on effect is, is pretty, pretty palpable. Absolutely. I have what I call the chills of confirmation <laughs> hearing this because it really is so powerful. It's bringing to mind uh, um, some of the work I do not with organizations, but with public figures and people with big personal brands is around social media and navigating these identity and social justice issues in the public eye. And I had someone come to me, I guess about a year ago, who was running a big platform that was predominantly white and straight. And she was like, I don't know why people of color and LGBTQ people you know, it's like they, they're just not showing up. They don't want to contribute. They're not showing up in my comments. They're not showing up as authors and writers on my site. And we did one session where we went into a deep subconscious hypnotic state, looked at where, you know, where did these beliefs that you can't coexist with X, Y, and Z kind of people show up, going back, doing a little bit of that shadow work, reprogramming it, um, feeling into doing a loving kindness meditation, feeling into restoring the loving, free-flowing, abundant connection between these people and making a few little choices, just not even acting on it yet, making the commitment to look at some reparations, some giving back, um, some inclusivity measures. And with less than 24 hours later, I got an email saying, you'll never believe what just happened. I, in the last few hours, I've gotten five different emails from people who are not white and not straight asking to contribute to my site. And it was just such a beautiful example of like, those people were there, they were ready and willing and, and so excited to be part of the community, but she was energetically holding them at an extreme distance based on the subconscious patterning. And when we cleared it, and we opened up space for the truth, which is love, which is organic connection, boom, it showed up immediately. Well done. The, uh, the, the thing that I want to make sure we dig into a little before our time is up on this, and I think it actually is a good segue from where we just were, is some of the reprogramming, uh, and I don't know if that's the word you would use for it, but some of the, the work you're doing around Reboot. And so maybe you could just give us a little a little breakdown as to what that is and, and how that's being, uh, how's that, how that's become a part of the, the work you're doing out in the world. 
Absolutely. So Reboot is um, the first publicly available version of the one-on-one work that I do with people on reprogramming basically subconscious dehumanization and separation. It's specifically designed for white people who are looking at their relationship to race, looking at their relationship to people of color and saying, understanding that there is, there are best practices, you know, actions that they can be taking in the world. um, But we still really have the collective sort of white supremacist unconsciousness. That doesn't mean that I am actively a white supremacist in my conscious life, but means that there, there are generations of patterning within me that makes me see myself in some way as inherently superior to people of color, and particularly as a white man in the context of America, particularly superior to black people. Um, and Reboot is an opportunity at seven meditations all aligned with, with different chakras in the body, looking at different, different ways that this instinct to separate and dehumanize um, people of color shows up. So there's a root chakra meditation. And by meditation, we really mean a hypnotic clearing experience where we're going deep to the root of these core memories of these core wounds and having a new experience of them, which all the research shows, um, whether it is research on neuro-linguistic reprogramming or hypnosis or, you know, shamanic journeying, whatever it might be, when we go back and we, and we bring consciousness to an unloving thought, to um, a dehumanizing thought, and we see it in a new way, then, it, then the memory itself begins to change, as does our experience of that pattern. So the root meditation being about money and wealth and resources and physical property and looking at, you know, where have I in my life, where did I first learn that I deserve to have more than people of color? Where did I first learn that in some way people of color um, weren't weren't actually fully human and were, and were perhaps even property? Where did I first learn that I had to defend myself against people of color? And these are uncomfortable things. And if people are listening and they're like, you know what, this has been a nice 25 minutes. I'm going to end this podcast now. Um, I invite you to sit with the, with that discomfort. It's not about your conscious thoughts. It's about what were what was your great, great, great grandfather taught um, through the experiences through the responses of people in his environment. And if he never looked at it, and if everybody in your lineage never looked at it, you're the one, you're the one who's breaking that pattern. Um, and so it's, it's an opportunity to go in um, because there's so many amazing resources on actions you can take. This is how to give reparations. This is how to create a more inclusive, um, more inclusive community. But if we don't go in um, and clear out those beliefs at its core, then we're running we're, we're, we're running on the autopilot that we didn't choose. And one of the ones that's most popular within that series is um, a meditation for responding to call outs, because that's often how this shows up for people is that they're just, they feel like they're just doing their own thing, maybe running a brand or just a small social media page or whatever it is, or just going about their day-to-day life. And all of a sudden someone tells them that what, what they've done is racist or that they've done something exclusionary and harmful. And the programming there is to completely minimize the reaction and to defend yourself and to push away any opportunity for healing. And so it's, it's a way to say, okay, if this is happening, if I'm being told that I'm racist, how can I create some space to look at 
what in me created this experience? Where, where have I been unconscious about the needs of the people around me? And how can I consciously choose to act in a way that is, that is different? Um, the example I give outside, and so this, this program, Reboot, is specifically around race, but um, within the next month or two, I'm going to be launching across all different identities. So, so reprogramming for men around gender, reprogramming um, for straight people, but also, you know, reprogramming for LGBTQ people. How do I let go of the idea that I live in an inherently unsafe world where I can't trust anybody if they haven't had the same experience of oppression as me? So there's, there's so many different, so many different axes uh, along this, but it's ultimately about creating enough spaciousness to choose to act in a way that truly reflects who we actually are, which is equal loving human beings, and then to have the consciousness to clean up the reverberating impact of all of the ways um, that we haven't done that in the past. So amends, cleaning up our past so that we can freely move into the future is, is a big part of it as well. So let's say you're someone who this is, brand new to them. They're hearing this podcast. They've they've not gone down any of these self-work paths. They've not really explored any of the different modalities or approaches to this sort of work that that we've been talking about. Where do you tell them to start? What's a what's a good what's a good safe first step for someone looking to put their toe in this water? So what I would say first is sometimes what we do where I start with my clients is almost a reprogramming of the meta level beliefs that are influencing the container. So even the idea that there's so much to do and I don't have enough time or that I'm so far behind, like looking at that story and saying, how can I create an affirmation for myself that is, you know, I, I'm doing the work that I'm called to do in the world. Um, it is my clearing up the, <laughs> the pain of my past is happening um, with surprising ease, you know, things like that, starting to, to look at where am I sort of telling a story that I'm really behind and really, um, or that it really doesn't matter and kind of leaning into how can I create a container where I say, you know, this is something that I'm showing up for every single day now. Um, and, and I really do encourage people to think about it as a daily practice. And then ultimately, you know, if, if going meta is, is, <laughs> is too meta, just <laughs> saying, where are you experiencing the most pain in your life right now? Um, and for some people that might be something that's, that's more personal, it might be like my relationship is in total disaster or my money's a total disaster right now or whatever it is, but it might show up as whoever's been coming to mind as you've been listening to this podcast is that even if it's not someone specific, even if it's this like faceless notion that there are people that might critique you on the internet, like who are those people? Who's coming to mind? Um, is there a little, just a flicker of a, of a half second of your childhood that's just been showing up? It's like, why am I thinking about, you know, that eighth grade birthday party um, and starting to think about what, what is it that's, that's starting to, come up um, because we all have, we all have different core wounds or different places that are really asking to be looked at. Um, and that might be along the lines of race. It might be along the lines of gender. It might be a more expansive notion of just community. Like, do I believe that I deserve to 
peacefully coexist with other humans. Um, that can be a beautiful place to start as well. So I always encourage people just to get present, to notice what's already starting to come up and to set that intention that it is something that can be resolved. If you're experiencing conflict, if you're experiencing pain, a feeling of being isolated, that's not something that you have to live with. And so opening up, I think that's really what I was saying about the meta level. It's like opening up to the willingness to acknowledge where things don't feel good and to be willing to believe that it could change in a meaningful way. And also acknowledging too, that you might not have explicit memories, especially when we talk about these identity things, you might not have an explicit conflict happening in your life. But if you are someone who is in a body that historically has had more power and privilege, you have an opportunity just to spend some time cleaning things up on behalf of all of us, um, looking at where, yeah, where have I been, however passively, just a witness to discrimination? And how can I get curious about um, shifting that? And how can I also tell a story that this is all about, that the line between personal and collective healing is in some ways non-existent. This is about doing your part to, um, to really create a world that works better for you as well and, and, and seeing it in that kind of heart-opening way. And then practically, I would say, yeah, if you feel called start something like the meditations that I have, the, you know, the, the hypnosis tools that I have available to people um, and, and just see what, see what comes up and commit to not feeling like it has to happen overnight, but just it's, it's something that you're layering in in the same way that you might start to use a little bit less plastic, or you might start to um, be a little bit more conscious about your water consumption, you know, really prioritizing that next right action um, over that feeling of overwhelm that just keeps us in the old pattern. Right. That's, it's a really good reminder. I think for people, I talk about this sometimes too. These are called practices for a reason because no one, no one calls them like daily perfections. You know, they're, they're called daily, they're called daily practices because they, they start to um, somaticize behavior. They start to create pattern. They start to create uh, deftness and a, and a flexibility in order to work in these new and different ways that we might not be comfortable with the first 10, 20, hundred times we do it, but eventually with practice, it starts to become a part of, of you in a, in a new and, and more well-rounded way. Last question I have for you. I've been asking everyone I've been chatting with on this series, this as a closer, because it's really at the core of, of what applied empathy is about is perspective taking to gain richer and deeper understanding. And so a question I have for you is what is something you want to understand better? Oh, what a beautiful question. Something I want to understand better. Right now, the thing that's coming up for me is actually around um, the environment and, and the feasibility of being zero waste. One of my, my first, oh my God, we have to change the world activations that happened as a teenager was around climate change. You know, watched An Inconvenient Truth, the Al Gore film, and it's like, oh my God, we're all, we're all going to die. Um, and was very, very aligned with a very low impact sustainable lifestyle for many years, 
totally plant-based. Like I was that person who carried my utensils everywhere. Like I had a bandana for every day of the week. So I never had to use a paper towel when I was out. Like I was, I had those practices very locked in, but it was when I was young, I was in college. There were a lot of, um, there were a lot of material circumstances that supported me, um, in, in, in that feeling a little bit easier. And in the last, I'd say six months or so I've had um, a few, a few come to Jesus moments about the way that my awareness in that realm has slipped. And I love to share that too, because obviously I'm someone who's seeking to live in total alignment with the frequency of the world that we're, that we're all creating the natural state of earth and humanity, this natural balance. But there, there are so many places that, that I still have to grow into that. And so I really, and I've also been deeply connecting much more with um, different indigenous groups and, and starting to work with them more specifically in the last six months. And, and just to hear from them, their relationship to the earth. And, and I'm just in a sort of very practical quest to clean up various areas of my life and to look at where have I unconsciously been perpetuating the abuse of the earth, as well as the abuse of all living bodies, including mine on the earth through um, prioritizing convenience over consciousness and just starting to pull back the veil on all those different areas, whether it be where I get my clothes um, or just the prevalence of single use plastic. So I'm definitely, I'm in a big curious inquiry around um, how to make sustainable living sustainable and accessible to myself and many other people. Well, thank you as someone who shares the planet with you for, for that piece of work <laughs> and, and, and hopefully more people pick up that, that, uh, torch as well. Um, Aaron, thanks so much for your time. I really, this was this, I feel like we could keep going for hours, but this is a great totally. window, window into your world. Um, and you know, we'll make sure to share all of the Aaron's, uh, relevant links and, and, uh, places you can find him in the notes for this podcast. Thank you. And, uh, looking forward to hearing more about the work you're doing in the world on the road ahead. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to, to have this chat with you today.